The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. You know, there are some ideas or truths that are so important, we have to find ways to keep it in front of us and keep reminding us of that, whatever that truth may be. So I was reading a, a blog. It was written by a woman. She writes about parenting, and uh, she, she wrote about this way she reminds herself of this one truth. I thought this was pretty interesting, and she talked about an experience that she had, and I've had similar experience. So I, uh, my wife and I, were young parents. We have a five-year-old, a three-year-old. We have one on the way, and so as young parents, um, we often have people who are farther ahead in their parenting journey. Maybe they, their kids are just about to leave the house or have already uh, left the house. And they come up to us and they say, hold on to it. It goes by so quickly. And I always hear that and I, and I, I don't really know what to do with that. Like I'm, I'm trying to hold on to it. I don't know how to, should I tape my eyeballs open? I don't know what to do, but I, I'm trying, okay. And this woman, she, said, she had an idea on how to keep that urgency in front of, uh, of us as, a, as parents is, is how to keep that, the fact that, hey, this is a set period of time when children are, partic- when they're in our home, under our influence, when they're particularly moldable, influential, influenceable, and how to keep that in front of our, our face. And so what she suggested is she said, when your child is born, and maybe you've heard of this, something like this before, when your child is born, get a, a jar and put some pennies in it. And she recommended put 936 pennies in that jar. That's how many are in here right now. It's actually pretty heavy. And says, get 936 pennies and put it in this jar. And because that's the number of weeks you have from when they're born to when they turn 18. And so what she said was, and maybe she said, or if you already have children, then get a jar and just kind of retroactively fill it however many weeks are left until they turn 18. Now, her point is to keep track of like the time as it's going by until they turn 18. Now, of course, parenting doesn't end when a child turns 18, but it's this kind of marker to be thinking through, like that's when this movement of independence is really kind of sinking in. And so kind of keep track of parenting up until then. And what she recommended was Put that jar with your 936 pennies, put that somewhere where you can see it. And she said, every week, unscrew the top and take one penny out. And she says, slowly watch the pennies and keep track of how much time you have left. Now, I don't know about you, but just reading that completely depressed me, okay? I'm like, I'm a basket case as it is with these like key, I mean, there's like a couple really important milestone moments and they just like get to me, you know, when, the, when my daughter went off to kindergarten, I mean, these key moments, one day when one of them graduates, you know, that first time they make a Star Wars reference in everyday conversation, you know, <laughs> it's like key moments in their life, all right? And those are already emotional as it is, and um, I'm not sure I was, you know, wanting to do that and ready to kind of fill and take a penny out every time. But the point she was making is that there's some things so important, you got to keep it in front of your face. There's some things you got to put out physical, tangible reminders and not let it drift into the background. And kind of the urgency that we have 
with the children in our life. You know, you could do that with your children or your grandchildren or your stepchildren. You know, that, that kind of urgency of how much time we have as when that person, that being is a child, is a good thing to keep in front of our face. But as I heard about that urgency, it made me ask, okay, if I have just, this, this reminds me of a set amount of time that they are in their childhood. I have this set amount of time. So with every single penny, like what is the most important thing that I can absolutely make sure I download to these children in my life? Now the passage we're studying is called the Shema. We've been in this passage. It's in the book of Deuteronomy. And it's known historically as the Shema because it's one of the most famous parts of the Bible. It's one of the most repeated parts of the Bible. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. And we've been walking through this passage. And it opens up with a familiar phrase from the Bible. It says, we should love God with all of our heart and all our soul and all our might. It says, love God with everything you've got. And it starts with this idea that our relationship with God, just to put it like very like plainly, our relationship with God is the most important thing in our lives. Because he's God, he's over everything, he should be first in our life. And because how we handle our relationship with God, that cascades into every other category, every other relationship, every other aspect of our life. Our relationship with God is the most important thing in our life. That passage goes on to say, hold that in your heart. And then it makes a turn and it says, teach it diligently to your children. And we talked about how this passage is teaching, okay, our kids. And it's not hard for us to, to know this truth. Man, our kids, the kids you'll be given one day, blessed with one day. The grandkids that you have in your life or will one day have in your life. Children, our lineage, that's the most important thing we'll leave behind. It's the treasure that we've been given, the greatest blessing. And so if that's true, and, and we know that our faith is the most important thing in our life, then the most important thing we could pass to our children is to pass on our faith to our children. And since they're the most important thing we leave behind, that's like maybe the greatest task we could do on this earth. We talked in week three, the passage goes on and says, man, teach these things to your children when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. And Pastor Justin was teaching us in part three that there are moments that we plan where we just sit down in our house and we talk through it. And there's moments that we seize. We're walking along the way and an opportunity comes up and we seize it. And then last week we were looking at how this passage goes on and it says, says it like this. It says, we should teach it to our children when we lie down and when we rise. That's a rhythm every day going to bed and waking up. We talk about our rhythms every, all the time, constantly throughout our life and how to weave our faith through the rhythms of our life. And I want you now to look with me in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 8. If you have a Bible or Bible app, go ahead and open Deuteronomy 6, 8. I want you to see just this one verse, the next part of this passage known as the Shema today. And this is actually one of the most memorable parts of this passage historically. Look at what it says. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. In other words, these things that he's telling them today, these things, these, this is a part of the law, these laws, that they should write them, tie them on their hands, bind them on their hands, and tie them to their heads. Now, here's what's interesting. Historically, and maybe you've, you've seen this, some of the more orthodox traditions in Judaism have taken this very, very literally and have taken this so seriously that they literally bind 
pieces of the law to their hand and to their foreheads. Um, it's actually referenced in the New Testament. Jesus talks about it. That's how historic it is. He calls them phylacteries. Today, they're more commonly known as tefillin. And there are these boxes that they'll tie and wrap around their arm that have scriptures in it and also on their head. Let me just show you a picture. Here's a classic picture of an Israeli soldier. And you can see he's got it wrapped around his arm, wraps all the way up. And, um, and then you see he's got it wrapped around his, his head as well. And inside those boxes are scriptures and they use those for their morning prayers and on particular holidays. And so there's something that's been done all throughout history. This part of the Bible has been taken very, very seriously. What's the point here? What is he trying to say? Why is he saying write it on your hand and bind it on your forehead? What's he trying to say? He's saying this is a sign. He's saying remember it. He's saying don't forget Say, this is something you got to keep in, in front of you. Okay, think about um, the significance of this. He says, write it on your hand. You know that old practice of if you didn't want to forget something, you'd tie like a thread on your finger? You know what I'm talking about? Because every day, all throughout the day, when you see it, you won't forget it because it's, it's tied to your finger. Okay, so write it on your hand. If you put something on your hand, if you bind it to your hand, you will remember. But the second place, he says, is put it on your forehead. Because if it's on your face, people will see it as soon as they look at you. And you become a reminder to other people. When I was in college, uh, there's this one particular class. I remember the guy that sat behind me, he fell asleep every single day without fail. And I remember one day he was uh, taking notes. And I think he was just trying desperately to stay awake. Okay, And the only thing he had to take notes with um, was a Sharpie. For some reason, he was taking notes with a Sharpie. The problem was, as he was dozing off, like his head was nodding, he had his pen up, and so when he'd doze off, he'd write on his face. And he had no idea. So all class just keeps another line and another line, okay? And by the end of the class, he looked like a zebra, okay? And none of us told him. It was beautiful, all right? So... He walked around the rest of the day, and the first thing people saw was just black marks all over his face, okay? Um, there's a game that um, you can play with children, and I was actually playing with my kids yesterday, where you take out this card, and it's got a picture on one side, and you don't look at it, and you put it on your forehead, okay? And then you ask them, everyone else can see what's on your, your forehead, and you ask them questions and try and figure out what the picture is and who you're supposed to be with that on your forehead. You guys know the game that I'm talking about? And it's really, it's funny to play with a three-year-old and a five-year-old because they try and give you hints that are not the best hints, okay? So I, I put one on yesterday in my head and um, I said, okay, am I an animal? And my daughter says, no, you swim in the sea, but you're a human and you have a little friend. It's a crab named Sebastian and your name is Ariel. <laughs> Am I a mermaid? Yes. Okay. Thank you. All right. So the idea is if there's something on my head, okay, everyone else can see it as soon as they look at my face. What's on my head is not a reminder to me. It's a reminder to those around me. When they, if I tie something to my face, I become, my face becomes a reminder to those who look at me. And so what it's saying here is there's something that you should Tie on your hands so you remember, and you tie on your face, and in this context, so that when your children look at your face, they're reminded of that truth. 
Now, what's the thing that's so important that we're supposed to tie on our hands and tie on our face? Well, what he says here is, he says, it's the law. It's all the rules of God. He says, remember all my laws. He said, remember things like the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not steal, and, and thou shalt not lie, and thou shalt not murder. I mean, those kinds of things. Remember those laws. Things like remember all of the ceremonial laws, like the Feast of Passover, where you remember there was a lamb that was sacrificed, and, and because of that sacrificial lamb, you escaped death back in Egypt. It's the, it's the sacrificial laws, like when you sin, you bring forth an animal as a sacrifice because you sinned. It's all of these laws. And he's saying, remember them very closely. Remember every single law. Don't forget any one of them. Why is that so important? He talks about this same passage a couple pages over, over in Deuteronomy 11. He, he says the same thing again, and he tells them why to bind this on their hand and on their head. Let me just read this to you. It's going to be up here on the screens. Here's what God says. And if you will indeed obey my commandments, this is um, 11, verse 13. And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Listen, he will give the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the later rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil, and he will give grass in your field for your livestock, and you shall eat and be full. Now watch this. Take care, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Them, Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain, and the land will yield no fruit, and you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. Listen, you shall therefore, because of this arrangement, in other words, you shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You catch what he just said? He said, Israel, here's the arrangement. I'm making a, a contract with you, Israel. A covenant with you. It's a promise, a covenant. Here's the arrangement. He later describes it, a few verses later, he says, I'm making a covenant of blessing and a covenant of cursing. It's, it's one covenant. It's a covenant of blessings, blessings and cursing. If you obey, you'll be blessed. You have rain for your field. You have a harvest. If you disobey, you'll be cursed. There will be no rains. There will be no harvest. I'm making this contract with you, this covenant. If you obey, you're blessed. If you disobey, you're cursed. That is... The basic, that's, that is the basic framework of law, or in other words, that is the basic framework of religion. Every religion basically boils down to that concept. Here's the list of laws and rules. You do these, you're blessed. You don't do them, you're cursed. Now, some of you are here and you're hearing this and you're saying, all right, oh, man, I got to try harder now. All right, I got it. I hear you. I need to... Read my Bible more. I need to pray more. I need to be, uh, I go to church more. I need to do better things, nicer things. I need to stop doing this sin that I just keep falling into. All right, I'm going to do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to white knuckle this and I'm going to just get a little bit, uh, do a little bit better. And you're, and you're kind of gearing yourself up to dig in. 
There's others of you that are maybe here and you're saying, okay, um, here's where I'm at. I, I hear you say that, but I, I just kind of believe that God knows I'm doing the best I can. I mean, I'm trying. I mean, he's forgiving, right? He, he cares about me. He loves me. So he knows that I'm trying to do the best I can, right? I mean, he knows my heart. I mean, can I just caution you if that's where you're coming from? Because that's not what this says. What this says is, no, no. Holy God has all of his laws. You better write every last one, bind it to your hand, put it on your forehead. Do not forget one. He's not saying you can come up with your own list of laws, follow them, and God will say, that's good enough. Some of you are saying, see, this is why I don't do this. This is why I don't do the religion thing and the church thing. I, I just, I mean, just hearing this is making me exhausted. I feel so confined, so restrained. I mean, I just do not want to have all the life and joy just sucked out of me by this list of rules. But before you run away and you just say, I'm not doing this, I mean, this is what the Bible is talking about. This is the Bible speaking this. But you know, the Bible talks about something else. It says the word gospel, which means good news. Because I mean, everything we just talked about, that's not good news. It's not good news to just reiterate what every other religion has and just make it kind of Christian-tinted. That's not good news. It's not good news to know that you're not there yet, but you got to keep trying a little harder to get God to love you and bless you. It's not good news to live in this constant worry and anxiety of, am I doing enough, God? Or is the reason this is in my life because I messed up back here? Are you punishing me? Or am I not doing something? Am I not believing enough? Or have I enough faith? Or have I enough prayer? Or am I not a good enough parent? Or a good enough spouse? Or am I just, is it because you just see the sin? Are you mad at me? Am I far away from you? All of that, this idea of blessing and cursing and this covenant that God set up, that's not good news. But as we go through the Old Testament, he starts kind of whispering that there's a new, co new contract coming. There's a new arrangement with humanity. There's a new covenant that's coming. And when Jesus showed up, there was something new that he brought. A new contract, a new arrangement, a new covenant. You say, okay, what's the covenant? Did God like like kind of pull back from some of these laws and say, look, I went a little crazy in the Old Testament. That's just like, that, that was a little too far. Let's just back off those laws a little. Not at all. Here's what Jesus said. I want to read this to you in Matthew chapter 5. It's in the famous Sermon on the Mount. Look what he says. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to, what does it say? He says, I didn't come to back off the laws at all. I'm not saying, hey, you know, all those laws. No, those, he says, those were from holy God. Those came thundering down on Mount Sinai with like lightning and earthquakes and flashes and smoke coming down and trumpets from heaven. That was from holy God. I'm not changing one of those laws at all. I just came to perfectly follow them on your behalf. I followed every single one of those laws and all of that original arrangement, that original contract, that original covenant, those original promises was so that you would understand what this new covenant is when it comes, what this new contract is when it comes because one day Jesus would become the sacrificial lamb and by his blood we would escape death. 
And he would die on the cross. He'd bleed out. He'd be tortured and killed. And when he died, he would be the sacrifice for our sins so that all of our sins were paid for. And when he rose again from the dead, he says, it's done. All of your sins. Can you imagine every sin? Every time we broke in his perfect law, past, present, and future, every single one, God's anger and wrath and justice is satisfied to the full on Jesus Christ on the cross. But you know what? Some of this, sometimes Christians, we only know the first half. It's not just our sins that came off of us and went on Jesus. He didn't bring you back to neutral. Did you know that? It's not just that our sins were applied to perfect Jesus. His perfect righteousness was applied to you. Did you know that? Do you realize when God looks down at you, Christian, he doesn't see someone who's been neutral and had his sins like taken away and is doing the best he or she can. He looks at you as if you have 100% fully fulfilled the law because you have the righteousness of Jesus now applied to you. Your account is full with the righteousness of God. And now in this new contract and arrangement, he deals with you as if you had perfectly followed the law the way Jesus did. You say, there's no way that can be true. That, that's God, not, can't, can't be something that's said in the Bible. Listen to this in Romans chapter 5, verse 19. For as by the one man's disobedience, that's Adam when he sinned, the many were made sinners. Look, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made sinners righteous. You were made righteous by Jesus Christ. Is that a relief to anyone in here? What does that mean? That means the way this new contract works with you is as if you've already fulfilled everything you needed to fulfill. The blessing and cursing, Jesus took all the cursing so there's only blessing for you. That's how he treats you. Listen to how he says it in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If he gave his son Jesus for you, what would he possibly hold back from you? He does not treat us as our sins deserve. He knows that we're not perfect. He knows that he needs to to guide us out, but he treats us with the righteousness of Christ and is pouring out blessing in your life, regardless of what that may look like. He has poured the righteousness of Christ out on you. So let me just ask you this question. I just want you to diagnose your heart for a second. So a lot of people that say, yes, I love Jesus and I follow Jesus, but then they take this message of Jesus dying and they accept that, but then they go right back into living under the law and under religion. So let me just ask you this question because every, almost every person I've ever asked this question answered it the same way. Let's just say today you were, today is your final day. Let's say today you pass away and you stand before God and you're saying when God's sitting there on the throne and, and heaven is there and you stand before him and he says, why should I let you into heaven? 
In that moment, just ask yourself silently in your heart, what would you say? Just take a second. What, what might you say? Why, would I, why should I let you into heaven? What, what do you say? Almost every person that I've ever asked has said something like this. I would tell a man I've done the best I could. I tried. I'm not great, but I, I'm not, I know I'm not perfect, but I tried to do good. I did a little bit of good here, and I did a little bit of good there, and I, I tried the best I could. Almost everyone I've ever said, talked to has answered it that way. Why? they're operating like every other religion does, as if it's up to how good they are. But your righteousness is not your own. There's only one possible answer. Why should I let you into heaven? I shouldn't be let into heaven. But Jesus, he died to pay for my sins, and he gave, and he gave me his righteousness. So how do we in this new arrangement where Jesus took all the cursing, we just get blessing from him? How do I, how do I earn more of God's blessing? You couldn't possibly. Because of Jesus, he's dumping it out on your life, exactly what you need. So how do we, in this new covenant, this new arrangement, how do we read this verse here? Like, how, what is it that we're supposed to tie on our hands and tie on our foreheads? What are, we, what are we supposed to do based on this new covenant? Do we tie the law? No. We tie the gospel. What we have to keep in front of our, our faces, we've got to always remind ourselves, we've got to tie it on our hands, is that Jesus fulfilled the law. I wake up every morning knowing his mercies are new every single morning. I wake up every morning not wondering if I have a smile or a frown from Father God. I have only a smile from him knowing that he loves me, he, he knows where I am, but he, my, the righteousness of Christ has been applied to me. I have his love pouring down on me. I tie that on my hand. I tie that to my forehead so that anyone who looks at this face, what they might see is the gospel. If there's one thing that our children should see when they look at our faces, it's the gospel. Can I remind you of the urgency of, of this? You know, I was thinking about this whole illustration of the pennies. And I was looking at, you know, what it's like to, you know, have the, the pennies for a newborn. And, and so I started wondering about, about my own kids. And um, so I was wondering, you know, like, my kids are still little. You know, my, my oldest is in kindergarten. And so I wanted to see what a jar um, looked like. Um, you know, so this one here, this is, this is a newborn right here. You know, it's 936. And I wanted to know, like, what does it look like for a, a child in kindergarten, a five-year-old? Because I still feel like they're little. And when I saw like what that looks like, I honestly, I was a little bit, I, it was sobering because I looked at, you know, there's, there's some significant pennies missing. And so I was thinking about this, like, I, I want to see how this plays out. And I was thinking about, I have a niece um, who's nine, she's in fourth grade. I have a, actually a nephew who's also nine in fourth grade. And I, I wanted to see what a fourth grade looks like. And here's what was startled to me. And I reminded, man, when a child is nine, they still seem like a little child. They're halfway to 18. So that's what fourth grade looks like. And I was thinking, okay, like how they keep going, like, you know, it just seems like they're just beginning adolescence when they enter into high school. But man, a high school student, when they're a freshman, looks like that with pennies. 
And I began to think about this. One day my kids will enter into their senior year of high school and I'll be able to count the pennies of how many weeks left. And I look at these pennies. I, I have 936 weeks the moment they're born. And every week I take out another penny. What am I doing with those weeks? When I have just a few left, like with my child, maybe it's your child, your stepchild, your grandchild, like with those pennies each week, man, if there's, there's one thing I could get across to my child, like I was just thinking about like, okay, my, my, my daughter, she's, she's five years old, like I, this week I'm going to pull out another penny. And with this penny, this upcoming week, like, what am I going to do with this? How am I going to take advantage of this penny? Because if there is one thing, like if I could just do one thing of first importance, I mean, something more important than any subject I could teach them, any sport, any hobby, any, any character piece, any, anything for their life, if there is one thing I could let my child know, it's the message of the gospel, because the goal, I mean, just stop and think about it. The goal of raising a child, whether you're grandparenting that child, whether you're parenting that child, step-parenting that child, God-parenting that child, the goal of raising the child is not controlling their behavior. The goal is letting the Holy Spirit transform that little heart to know the message of how much God loves them and what Jesus did to save them so that they are reconnected with their creator and spends eternity with them in heaven. That's the goal. What am I doing with this week? Bind it to your hand. Bind it to your forehead. Let me give you three things. Here's the first thing. Live in the gospel. Bind the gospel so that you See it and you know it. The rhythm of this passage is love God with all your heart, soul, and might and teach it to your children. Hide it in your heart and then train them diligently. It's remind yourself of the gospel and then tie it to your face so that when they look at your face, they know the gospel. Do you know and live in the gospel? Christian, can you remember that when you wake up tomorrow, his face is still shining down on you? Do you know how much he delights in you? Do you know that you are his child, his son or his daughter? As a parent, every now and then, I go in to check on one of my kids when they're sleeping and I can't help myself. I just kind of stay there and watch them sleep. Don't look at me like that. You know you do that too. <laughs> and if, you're, um, if you have a teenage child and they're sitting next to you, don't nod right now because they're really creeped out that you stand over <laughs> them and watch them sleep. But there's something about looking at, that, at your child with their eyes closed and just so peaceful and you're looking at that child just so, so sweet and so vulnerable and, and there's just, you realize how much you love and delight in your child. Do you know how he, why he wired you with that impulse? It's to give you a hint of how he feels about you. 
Do you know he looks at you like his sweet child? Men, do you know that he looks at you and says, you are my son. I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm with you. I, I made you. I designed you just how you are. You're my son and I love you no matter what. Ladies, do you know that he takes, he says, you are my child, you're my daughter. I, I made you just as beautiful as you are. I, I delight in you. I'm always with you, protecting you. You're my daughter. Live in light of the gospel. Second thing, share the gospel with your children. Know it in your heart, but share it any chance you get. The, the greatest hero in your house should be Jesus. Talk about Jesus. Pray to Jesus, sing about Jesus, read stories about Jesus, remind them of what Jesus did for them, remind them how much Jesus loves them, remind them that Jesus died to pay for them, their sins, remind them that he rose again as the evidence that we will be in heaven one day because of Jesus. Remind them it's not about them being a good person, but it's about what Jesus did, not about what, that, what they do. Remind them that Jesus is the hero of all the universe, of all of, of history. Share the gospel, and here's the last one. As you tie it to your face, display the gospel to them. The framework you have in your relationship with God will be the framework you operate with your children. One of the greatest moments to seize with the gospels in a moment of your child's failure. How do I respond? What's written on my face? What's the tone? What's the stance? What are the words that I say? It's going to communicate a lot about either religion and law or the gospel. The other uh, day, I was in the bank with my kids, and we had run a lot of errands, and um, I had to actually go inside the bank, and we were waiting in a long line, and they were done. Okay, and they were just, they had been so patient all day, but they were starting to kind of act up a little bit, and they were just getting tired, and, and I remember there was this woman a little farther back in line, and she made this face that she really wanted me to see. Her face was like, hmm. So I kicked her, okay? <laughs> no, I didn't. I'm a pastor. I wouldn't do something like that. I wouldn't even think about that, actually. No, I would never do that. But here's the thing, okay, in moments where our children have a moment of failure, they mess up, they make a mistake, they're acting out, how am I responding to them? It reveals to me what my framework is, law or gospel, religion or gospel, and it teaches them something. If I'm embarrassed, that reveals that I care more about what this lady thinks of my parenting than resting in the fact of who God says that I am. If my kids are acting out in public and I'm embarrassed, it shows that I need the affirmation of other people around me to make me feel like I'm measuring up rather than so resting in the fact that I could never achieve what Jesus has already achieved for me that I don't care. And resting in that. And so if that's, that shows my framework with God and then if I'm embarrassed our kids are smart enough, our grandkids are smart enough, your stepkids are smart enough to see it written on your face. To discern it by the words and the tone that comes out, by the body language that comes out. And if what's bound around my face is you are an embarrassment to me, then instead of freeing them with the gospel, 
I've put shame around their neck. How about disappointment? When my child acts up and my flesh is disappointed, and what I'm saying is I'm thinking, I raised you better than this. In other words, I have done my part. What's wrong with you? And what that reveals is I don't have a heart anchored to grace where I look up at God and say, God, you've done everything for me and I still need your grace. So there's baked into my life a continual patience for other people because they need grace. And if I'm feeling disappointed inside, then that's what's going to be bound to my face. And I'm going to be saying, you're a disappointment. And what that means is I'm going to be essentially saying, I am going to withhold my approval of your life until you act right. And I'm withholding my acceptance on your life until you act right because you are disappointing me. And that's not the gospel. How about when parents one day have adult children and they leave the house and then maybe they make a decision and get into a relationship that those parents don't agree with? Or maybe they start living a lifestyle that those parents would say, that's not biblical. And over the years, the number of parents that I've met with that have come talk to me, asked me how to handle it, and what's broken my heart is the number of parents that have sat down with me and told me that they were counseled by other Christians to say this to their adult Christians who are living a, a lifestyle not congruent with the Bible. They were told by other Christians to say to those children, you're not welcome back in my house until you get your lifestyle straightened out. And that breaks my heart because those adult children still need the gospel from their parents. And that's not the gospel. Jesus didn't say, hey, here's the 99 sheep and they're being obedient and they're doing the right thing and they're going to they're gonna get all the benefits of my presence. And I don't know what's wrong with you that have strayed away, you one sheep that's gone off by yourself, but I'm going to be back here with the 99 sheep and they're going to get all the blessings of my attention and my approval and my affection. And when you can get your life back in order, you can come back to the fold. He says, no, I'm going I'm to leave the 99 and I'm going to run to that one lost sheep. And I'm going to go find it. Parents, run to that child. Run to them and tell them that no matter what they do, you will give them unconditional love. Give them the grace and may your face reflect the love of your heavenly father to them. May they learn the gospel by looking into your eyes. If there's one thing that we can tie on our hands and say, I will not forget it's the gospel. If there's one thing that we can tie to our face and let it shine to our children and to all around us, may it be the gospel. On your chair when you came in is a rubber band. Can everyone go ahead and grab that rubber band? Go ahead and pick that up. I want you to go ahead and put that on your wrist. Go ahead and put that on your wrist. If you're watching us online after this service, uh, I want you to go find a rubber band in your house and I want you to put that on your wrist. Here's what I, I want you to keep this on your wrist this week. Your challenge is for one week to, at least to keep this on your wrist so that every time you look down, you're reminded of the gospel. He washed away your sins. He gave you his righteousness. And nothing could ever change that he loves you.
Be so reminded of it that it's on your, written on your face shining to your children. And be reminded that you need to share this with your children. Do you know why it's so important to share it with children? I want to close with this one last thought. Humans are not born with the framework of the gospel. We assume everything is law and that affection and acceptance and attention and love is based on our performance. That's what every human is wired thinking. The gospel is unlike anything else on this planet. And we have to intentionally stop and find ways to deconstruct religion in the hearts of our children and teach them the gospel. There's one key moment in, uh, I've now had with both of my children. And I'll never forget the one with uh, my daughter. She was a few years old. And we just had a rough morning. She was just not in a good place. And there was a lot of just discipline and back and forth and redirection. And it was just a tough morning. We had lunch. And she, took, she went and took her nap that afternoon. And, and she got up. And then we're sitting at the kitchen table. And um, she's having snack. And I'm starting to kind of repair this relationship. I'm starting to make her laugh and kind of like, can I draw that side out of her? And we're starting to get silly. And so then I, I kind of waited a second and I started asking her a couple questions. And I said, um, across the table, I said, sweetheart, I said, um, does your daddy love you? And she says, yes, daddy loves me. I said, do I, do I love you when you're being silly? And she says, yes. And she makes a face at me and we laugh. I said, does your daddy love you when you're kind to your little brother? Yes, daddy loves me when I'm kind to my little brother. I said, does your daddy love you when you're listening well? And she says, yes. And then I said this. I paused and I said, does your daddy love you when you're not listening well? And here's how every human is programmed. When I asked her that question, she put down her snack. She looked down at the table and her shoulders slumped. She says, no, my daddy doesn't love me when I don't listen well. And I got up from my chair and I go around and I get down on my knee and I look right into her eyes and I take her face and I want to make sure she never forgets this moment. I looked right in her eyes and I said, sweetheart, your daddy loves you no matter what. Nothing will change how much I unconditionally love you. Whether you're listening well or not listening well, whether you're kind or not, nothing will change how much your daddy loves you. And every few months I have that conversation again because I never want her to forget the power of the gospel. And I want her to look at my face and see it radiating back. And here's how I'm burdened for some of you today. Some of you are, are sitting here today and you have a broken relationship with your heavenly father. And you feel like your heavenly father, you're constantly in this back and forth of he's happy with me, he's mad at me. I, I'm, I'm fulfilling his expectations, I'm not. I'm doing good, I'm not doing good. He's close to me, he's far from me. And you feel like you have this performance-based relationship with your heavenly father. 
Can maybe for today you have that moment where he gets on a knee and he takes you by the face and says, there is nothing you could do that could lessen at all my unconditional love for you. Jesus accomplished it all on your behalf. I love you and nothing could possibly change that. Can you experience the grace of your heavenly father today? Can we take a quiet moment for prayer today? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I believe that there are some of you here today or maybe you're watching online and what you're saying in your heart is, I've, I would say that I was a Christian, I would say I love Jesus, but I've been operating as if it was a religion. I, I realize I, I believe about Jesus, but I've kind of gone back into religion and I'm trying to obey to get my Father's love and acceptance and today you need to experience his grace for the first time. And realize it's not about what you do. It's about what he's done. I want to lead you in a simple prayer today. If you're watching online or you're here just in this quiet moment in your seat, some of you need to put your faith in Jesus, not in your own works, but in Jesus for the first time. And so if that's you, I want to lead you in this prayer. Just make these words, your words, silently in your heart. Just quietly say this to Jesus. Just say, Jesus, I surrender. Thank you that it's not up to me. Thank you for dying to pay for my sins. Thank you for giving me your righteousness. I know I'm accepted by you. And I know that you unconditionally love me no matter what. I want to live in light of that. In light of the good news, the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954 432 0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org